Welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm going to be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes the founders of Mint Songs, the NFT music marketplace. I had the pleasure of chatting with Garrett and Dwight, two co-founders who've known each other since college. Uh, we recorded this conversation at ETH Denver, so there is no video. It's purely audio. But without further ado, let's just dive right in. We talk about a lot. We cover a lot on all things music x crypto. So enjoy. Garrett and Dwight, welcome to Mint. How are we doing? How are we feeling? Thank you for being on. Yeah, we're f I'm feeling personally electrified and ready to be on the legendary Mint podcast. <laughs> Likewise, yeah. Enjoying ETH Denver. Yeah, we're here at ETH friends Denver. Denver. Jesus. It's been crazy here so far. I feel like between Dead Mouse uh, and all the other side events, there's just it's too much chaos. I'm personally exhausted. How are you guys keeping up? Yeah, man. Uh it, it is it is pretty hectic, but uh but yeah, it's it's just great seeing everyone here. Uh, you know, putting faces to Twitter PFPs is right. one of my favorite pastimes now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think like meeting all the web three music people in real life has been like my favorite thing by far. That's what's keeping me energized. Is this the first time actually everybody's like meeting one another? At least on your end? All the other like music companies, all the other music projects, the, the creators and whatnot. Um, just this trip. I mean, we met the Arpeggi folks, we met the Catalog folks, and I, I just met up with the Decent folks. Um, it's it, you know, it. This is the first time we've met them in person. Mm -hmm. So so yeah. Yeah, and then meeting up with some of like the older heads that have been around the space, Jack Spallone, um, Dan Fowler. Uh, all those guys, those were all my first time. Lenny, Young Spielberg, mm -hmm. um, yeah, lots, lots of new interactions. Well, look, I'm excited to have you guys on. Part of season four, all about music. Um, so why don't we just dive in, okay? Garrett, who are you? Dwight, who are you? Give us a quick brief about yourselves. What are you guys building? Uh, I think we can start there. Cool. Amazing, yeah. I'll start, you know, I... Shout out to my mom and dad for giving me a guitar way back in the day and starting this insane snowball of a journey in music, um, you know, playing in bands in high, middle school and high school and then uh, getting into shows and festivals and just, you know, just being around music for my entire life was one sort of parallel happening. And then uh, in another sort of parallel, like I was getting into crypto, like I, in 2013, just frustrated with why can't I buy any stocks like <laughs> and why can't I participate in financial markets so I got into crypto uh, around then and that has been sort of my life and you know now we're here at Mint Songs sort of colliding those two worlds together um, sort of handed off to Garrett to to sort of tell his story um, and then we can get into Mint Songs but yeah. yeah I mean before I started before we started Mint Songs I was a venture capitalist uh, so really uh, just seeing startup companies and screening thousands of them. And luckily for me, I saw six of our investments become unicorn companies. So wow. I spent a lot of my time just watching and following and observing how how our founders went from zero to one and then one to scale is a key focus of mine for the last four years. So valuable. And shout out to to Kyle, Evan, Omar, and Sood over there at AAF for, for giving me that experience because it was so uh, invaluable. But yeah, handing it off to Garrett um, to tell his story. Yeah. Yeah. You, 
Yeah. Um, I got into crypto around 2016 or so, uh, ironically by Dwight. Dwight was always early oh, yeah. crypto. <laughs> um, and then that rolled right into the ICO phase, which was like, <laughs> I don't know, one of the craziest <laughs> times in crypto. <laughs> um, you know, and around that time too, you know, me and Dwight went to the same college, James Madison University. And I was trying to like figure it out. I was doing photography work, working with like Ferrari, Lamborghini, like all these crazy brands. And, you know, I saw that there was a finite end to that. And like scaling to professional photographers, like, you know, a hard feat. <laughs> and so, you know, I took a break. I lived in a tent for three months traveling across the, the U.S. Um, with my partner. We ended up in San Diego. And then I was like, all right, we should like, you know, I should start building a career. <laughs> and so I went into the Web2 space, SaaS, um, went to early stage startup called House Call Pro out in San Diego. And, you know, just I was like the 10th engineer and then when I left three years later, I was like the hundredth engineer and really just got to grow with the company. Um, really exciting times towards the end. I was, uh, one of the lead engineers for the MarTech and internal tooling team. So I was like deep in the web too. Like, how do we, you know, track these users? What are they doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I was excited about what opportunities web three could happen and expose. And so, yeah, you know, this is like the convergence of two of my favorite things in life, which is music. I've always loved music. Live shows is like one of my favorite things in crypto, which is like yeah, the cutting edge of technology. So you guys met in college then, from what I understand. Yeah, we met in college at, at an organization called the Society of Entrepreneurs. Um, <laughs> around that, yeah, it was, a, it was a group at James Madison where it was just a group of people that wanted to build businesses. And yeah, just so fortunate to have met Garrett there while I was there. What grade was that? Was it like sophomore year or uh, freshman year? Do you remember? I think it was my junior year. I did a victory lap. So. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, his junior year, my sophomore year. Yeah, and that, I mean, that group had like some pretty cool things come out of it too like one of them was uh dan hunt and them which was the first publicly traded marijuana stock sick um, yeah yeah there's just it was a crazy good group of guys yeah it's really cool so you guys butted heads met and started mint songs how did that come to life yeah that's who a... approached who with the idea <laughs> uh it was me and <clears throat> you know i uh you know, after trading ICOs in 2017, 2018, I saw NFTs. My first, you know, uh, <clears throat> encounter with NFTs was Decentraland, and then I saw CryptoKitties. And, you know, for me, I was like, okay, CryptoKitties, Dapper Labs, they got an Andreessen check. Whatever they do next, I'm probably going to, you know, focus hard on it and, and get involved real early. So yeah. NBA Top Shots was that. Um was that project that they made next? I got in the closed beta, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is truly game changing." Uh, around the same time, I got into Nifty Gateway, and you know, got the debut NFT art pieces of Beeple, Mad Dog Jones, wow. Fuck Render, and <clears throat> really just participating in the space. Like for me, I was a huge basketball fan, so Top Shot made sense, and I was also a huge digital art fan. Uh, I was following Beeple on Instagram since I was in high school, so. Wow. So Very I saw cool. his, you know, I saw him create NFTs. I was like, okay, this, like, if, if this space has any legs to it, it's going to be because one of the largest digital artists that I follow is going to enter the space. So, uh, you know, around that time, I, I, I sort of saw the writing on the wall. I was like, okay, music artists are digital artists. Like, this is going to, this is going to work for them too. Uh, it's just a matter of time. So, you know, I approached Garrett and 
you know, at the time, Garrett and I were actually working on another music project. Uh, it was called Channel. And basically what Channel was, it was an app where you connected your Spotify. And based on the artists that you followed on Spotify, you'd see uh, a, uh, basically a custom, what we call an MTV channel of all the YouTube videos that those artists would post. It would be, it'd show the newest videos from the artists that you posted on YouTube. So really sort of connected those social graphs together. Uh, but yeah, we were, you know, we were, we were already actively building in the music space and, and then NFTs happened to me and I was like, Garrett, you got to check this out, man. Like he, Garrett has a text on his phone from September of me tell them about top shots and all this stuff. And I was like, Hey, no one's doing this for music yet. This is like our moment. Uh, because it's, you know, the intersection of what we, we've been just yeah. doing up until this point. Yeah. yeah. So when he hit you with that, what was, uh, what were some of the initial thoughts? Yeah. You know, I, I still hung around crypto, but you know, it, it, it had kind of died down after the ICO phase. And so <clears throat> I'd stayed close. I didn't fully understand the use case at first. Like, I had to, I, th- I think generally in life, like taking a step back and like just challenging your own thoughts is probably a good, good thing. And so I was like, I don't understand it, but like I trust Dwight, <laughs> basically anything that Dwight has done is done well for me. So yeah. let's, uh, you know, let me explore it. And I think it, it took like probably two months of me, like really diving in, starting to understand the space to a point where I was like, all right, yeah, dude, like, you know, I'm, I, I will quit my job. Let's do this full time. Um, which was like a scary leap because I was at a, you know, a high growth SaaS startup that's probably going to IPO and like, <laughs> you know, there's opportunity cost there, but. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 without a doubt. <laughs> so what is Mint Songs? What are you guys after? What are you guys chasing? What problem are you trying to solve? You know, what we identified early on was that, you know, artists, there was just a barrier for artists to enter the space. Um which were many different factors, whether it was like, you know, creating a MetaMask and storing a seed phrase, like that initial onboarding was so hard. And then you have the gas fees. So it's like, how do you actually create the NFTs and sell them? And all, uh, you know, all encompassing is just the education around both the artist and the consumer. So what Minsongs is trying to do at the highest level is help music artists build Web3 communities. And we do so by, you know, building the picks and shovels to really help an artist go to their fans and and onboard them into the space with as little barriers possible. So that's sort of our, you know, two second on that. But I think you know, since we started Men's Songs back in January of 2021, we've just seen the space evolve. You know, we have a lot of awesome like peers in the in the space now who I who I sort of mentioned earlier. And you know, one thing that I I really uh, you know intentionally you know built with Men's Songs is just a strong engineering core. Like you know, our a lot of what Garrett has built. Garrett and I have built today is like a culture of hey let us build a really strong core and and really throw a bunch of darts at the table because right now we're all still trying to find product market fit and for us we you know we know that there's like this end point right all music artists are going to have nfts and all music consumers are going are, are going to have at least one nft so like how do we get to that point as fast as possible um and, and, you know, that really played into our core ethos of let's build an open marketplace. Let's build it so it's Web3 native. So if Mint Songs does, you know, die in the future, knock on wood, that all artists will still have ownership of the NFTs that they've created. Uh, or at least, you know, they'll have the provenance of it. And then the consumers will have the ownership of those NFTs. So really promising these folks, like, 
this is the Web3 future. We're not a custodial platform. You fully own uh, the NFTs that you create with us. So um, that's really the ethos. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're waiting for that moment, right? Like, and we're building towards it where, you know, hundreds of artists, hundreds of thousands of artists will enter the space, hundreds of thousands of consumers will enter the space. And, you know, our, our thought was let's build an open, uh, an open space for, uh, for that to be a possibility. So when you say building communities for musicians, what does that mean? So you talk about onboarding Mm -hmm. and I, and I also say this like as a dumbed down question, because I want to, I want to further define what a a music musicians community may look like on chain. Mm -hmm. Right. So walk me through more of that thesis. Like, okay, you guys are building and helping musicians build their communities right through their songs, through their tracks. So what does that really mean? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. And, you know, I was, you know, to start, uh, NFTs are really the atomic unit of Web3 community, right? So whenever you create an NFT, you sell it or give it away to someone, and now it's in an Ethereum address. And, you know, the the biggest thing about Web3 in general across, you know, music, art, you know, what DeFi is, is really the data transparency. And for us, we tell artists, you know, if you believe in this decentralized future, having a Web3 community is so important today because you'll be able to, you know, once you have a community of say a thousand folks that own your NFTs, you'll have a thousand Ethereum addresses. You'll eventually eventually be able to layer an analytics layer on top of that, which will help you be data-driven about every single future decision that you make. Mm-hmm. This is a Web3 community. The understand Actually understanding what your community, what your collector looks like, and then building things uh, and being data driven about you know what uh, about what your community uh, likes, so it'll it'll help you be sort of more successful in the long run. Uh, is sort of how I would sort of describe a Web three community. It, it's more than just oh they're just my collector. No, it's like now that you have this data, you know, mm. it's just it's just such a radical thing that we 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 still haven't fully sort of. Um, uh, adapted to, but that's really the, the, the data play, the grail of Got this it. whole thing. So data is a core part of that foundation. Obviously everything is on chain. Everything is traceable. Every interaction says something about you and your online identity, right? Uh, which is a whole nother discussion, but Garrett, how do you think about community personally? Yeah. You know, I think where I stand with community is like, eventually everything will move towards community driven. Um, like even in the web two world, you're starting to see like this influx of community managers and less paid spend. Mm-hmm. And so through that paradigm, like the, the ability to have a community, the ability to make data driven insights and actions off of that, like, you know, a use case could be <clears throat> of your collectors. What's the average ether balance. Right. And then you know how to price NFTs for the future. Right. Or like, you know, there's token gated campaigns, there's activation once you get them in your community. Um, and so, you can build all these cool social graph tools. Like there's just endless possibilities. And so, you know, at the end of the day, everybody like customers are community. If you do it right, fans are community. Um, and so it's, it's like a core ethos to building a successful anything. You know, I met someone here at ETH Denver. Um, I think at the, I forgot which event it was. It was yesterday. Today is February 18th. Yesterday, the 17th. <laughs> um, He's actually doing something really cool. And we talk about community right now, and I don't know which platform he's minting on. I just know that he's he's gotten really nitty-gritty with the development yeah. side and, and like smart contract hacking and is using Chainlink Oracles to basically 
bring streaming data on chain and then his nft unlocks experiences as his fans engage with that song more so he has milestones to his song so if it hits a thousand listens that nft unlocks a new experience if it reaches ten thousand listens a new experience a hundred thousand a new experience etc so it's like a dynamic nft something similar uh if we're talking about creators lamello ball he did something very similar with his drop in, in the nba um which my friend did uh but Aside from that, when you guys think about community, like it's more than just collecting an asset. It's more than just collecting an NFT. You guys, from what I understand, what I believe is like we're all betting on that everything or at least almost everything is going to be on chain. That's digital, right? From tickets to album covers to songs to beats to loops. The list goes on and on and on. So you guys are focused more on the data layer, right? And providing them with tools and the minting assets and and whatever's required to build that community from what i'm understanding yeah you know that that that's uh that's definitely a core piece of it right also you know our a handful of our artists are taking their songs and turning them into nfts and they're making more money on turning their songs into nfts than they are on streaming so yeah. i i think we also need to be realistic here right like artists are going to you know, wholly get into NFTs because there's going to be a money-making opportunity to it. Like, I mean, that's why they got into streaming, right? It's, it's going to be this, like, it, it, you know, we could talk very high level here and, uh, and very idealistic about what the future of music and NFTs look like. But for an artist, all they, you know, they, NFTs are just going to be another tool to their toolkit, right? It, they're going to do touring still. They're going to, you know, sell merch. NFTs are just, you know, a digital merch strategy or a gamification layer to their brand um, that'll just be additive and allow them to engage with their community in a totally new way that'll, uh, that sort of will enable them to, you know, create brand equity for their fans. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's also an important part. So, you know, I, I do talk idealistically about like what the end state looks like for an artist and the data-driven, uh, the data-driven motives for building a Web3 community. But, you know, at the core of it, like if we can help artists make more money so that they can keep doing what they can, they, they want to do, then we increase the amount of, you know, the, the middle class in the creator economy, which, you know, I, I think, you know that opinionate you know opinion for me i just i want the creator economy to be larger and i right. think a lot of the folks in the web3 space that are building sort of at the intersection of nfts uh and and you know creative also think the same way yeah why do you guys believe nfts could could define the future of music Ooh, that's a good question um <clears throat> i think nfts open up like i'm putting on my nerd hat for a second sure <laughs> like I think NFTs open up this really unique composable layer that you don't get in these isolated systems that you see in Web 2. Um, what that really translates out to be is like the composability of this core unit can be abstracted over multiple different startups, companies doing multiple different things to where you get like, you know, all tides rise, all the ships, um, and you have this really unique experience. It's It's the whole ethos around having a a shared data set, right? And so you no longer have to rely on APIs. You no longer have to rely on reliability of, you know, insert whoever's API here. Like you can just call on chain. Any company can build on top of that. And you could just unlock a whole different class of experiences. What's your take? Yeah, you know, I think that 
what we experience, I, 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 you know, I, this is a core philosophy of mine. Like whatever we experience in the physical space will be reflected into the digital space. Sure. And, you know, what artists do in the physical space is they sell physical merch to folks. And that comes in the form of hoodies, hats, shirts, vinyl, um, posters. So, you know, when I think of, you know, when people ask, like, are NFTs are really going to be game-changing for music artists? I'm like, hell yeah, they are. They already do this in the physical space. This mm-hmm. is just the digital version of it. And if we uh, ascribe to the fact that we are, you know, just turning, you know, the physical digital through, you know, FaceTime and in real-life uh, interactions and Amazon and retail stores, like, this is just an, this is just natural. Like, this is organic for them. Um, it's just a matter of uh, just educating folks that this is this isn't like this isn't like oh this is crypto whatever black box whatever but it's it's just a reflection of what we currently do yeah you know another use case i want to talk about on the point of community um and why i think nfts could define the future of music the future of 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 fan and artist relationships um so mint through an event here at east denver on the 15th this like web3 creator meetup and this really dope like independent artist her name's queen george she performed um but it wasn't just like an ordinary performance it was done very strategically so the tickets to actually get access to the meetup were through nfts and all of her nfts had queen george on them right so people were able to mint an nft as a ticket and they already became collectors of her without even spending a dime now on top of that not only did they become collectors but then they came to the meetup and watched her perform right and she had qr codes everywhere like plastered everywhere so they can one join her discord right and connect their wallet and two mint a song that she was about to perform live right and talk about like a new experience because they were able to collect something from her without even spending a dollar which you think about like barrier to entry you think about funnels right you think about onboarding users what a like what what a interesting touch point to give something of the artist to the fan without really working for it as much. And then on top of that, tying in that entire experience by watching a live performance. So you collected her asset, you watch her perform live, you joined her Discord, and you could also bid on an NFT all under one cycle, both URL and IRL. Now, when you guys think about like data and community, these are all assets that are on chain, right? As more of these wallet addresses kind of buy other things, join other communities, vote on other uh, on Snapchat, on Tally, whether it's off-chain, on-chain voting, she can start building a profile around those addresses, right? That extends way beyond just collecting an NFT. I'm guessing that's how you guys are thinking about it as well, right? Like the interest, intricacy, the data that it's an onion that you're peeling, right? Yeah, Adam, I want to commend you on that. Like that's an amazing way to onboard new folks into the space right and um you know garrett and i launched a, a product recently called posters that allows artists to turn oh, tour right. posters and show posters uh into nfts that you know they artists can give away to their fans for free um and their fans just need a, uh, an email address to claim it so really thinking through like how do we create how do we just lower the barrier for a music consumer to participate in the web3 space right i think you know, a lot of we we've spent you know the last couple of months just talking with our artists, and you know there is a top of funnel problem where the artists are going to their fans and they're saying, hey, go check out my NFTs here. But you know, artists haven't done the 
the educational process. Like a lot of their fans just don't know what's happening yet. So, um, so what better way to educate folks uh, than free, free NFTs, right? Like I always like to tell folks this, uh, this experience of mine, like in 2013, I got my first free Bitcoin because I got it from Coinbase. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm like, okay, now look at where I am. So uh, the, the idea of just making it as low friction as possible and with your ticket example, it's a great example, right? Like you create a moment, that moment is valuable. And for Queen George, like she's able to, uh, to now sort of see what her collectors are doing. Right. And that's so powerful. So, you know, over time, I think more, more, uh, more tools are going to enable artists mm-hmm. to just uh, embed NFTs into their everyday processes. And for us, we identified that artists already put out tour posters and show posters. So the next step is like, hey, we, you know, we just go to artists and say, hey, let's just turn this tour poster into an NFT that you can give away to your fans. And you can gauge your fa- fans and see who's interested in NFTs. And at the same time, collect email addresses and yeah. ETH addresses. Like, it's all about being genuine with onboarding. I think on the consumer side, a lot of people are burned out from NF- the NFT space because they see the headlines like $69 million piece from Beeple and there's like, what the hell is this? Or right. is it just like the rich the rich playground? Right. And, and it's not really like that, right? Like it, it, it's really like we're trying to build tools for inclusivity and, and a lot of artists are, in, are interested in, you know, building in the Web3 space from sort of this uh, inclusive lens. Like how do I get my entire fan base to mm-hmm. play in the web three instead of, you know, uh, just selling, uh, NFTs at like, uh, NFTs to folks. It's like, how do we just let everyone in and, mm-hmm. and, and, and then create experiences around, uh, around that inclusivity mm-hmm. is super important. What do you guys think is stifling a seamless onboard process today? Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we've Be- spent beyond, of- by the way, beyond the obvious of just downloading a wallet, which is your port of entry into <clears throat> web three, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of UX issues. Um, you know, we, we originally came in with the lens of like, there is a UX problem in web three. And I think that's broadly known at this point. (laughs) Um, and so like for us, it was communicating with fans and artists and like understanding the friction points, obviously the wallet was one. So we introduced a tool called magic link where you can sign up with an email and get a non-custodial wallet. So you, if you do bridge into that like area where you're now like, you know, deeper, you can get your private key and we never have, we never touch it. You can get your private key and go, you know, import it into MetaMask. And now you're like, you're able to convert into that. Like, I don't know, I'll, I'll call it more advanced user mm-hmm. for better terms. There's also things just around like, how do you pay and, and transaction fees? You know, recently we shipped something called meta transactions, um, effectively, we will cover all of the transaction costs for interactions on our on mint songs. And so, you know, now you can come on, like as an artist, you could come on with zero knowledge of Web3, sign up with an email, get a non-custodial wallet, go mint a song without having to have Matic as we're built on Polygon mm-hmm. and launch an NFT in like, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes, <laughs> if that. Solid. Who, who, who takes over the gas fees? We do. Really? Yeah. So with meta transactions, we cover the gas fees. And with Polygon, the gas fees are small enough to where it's doable. Yeah. 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 Manageable. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I see like, we're obviously super early. I try to remind people mm-hmm. to zoom out for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
when you're in the day-to-day of crypto Twitter, when you're, when you're in the day-to-day of buying music NFTs, you're using products, you forget like how early we are sometimes, right? And it's interesting to see how I personally believe we haven't even scratched the surface of what music X crypto really, really looks like. Mm-hmm. My next question to you guys is like, where do you imagine us being a few years from now? And I and let's take this from like a, a two-year point of view because shit changes within a matter of hours. <laughs> it's like overwhelming at times. Like what's missing in music X crypto that we don't have today that you see as obvious opportunities, for example? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of what the NFT, like I, I always like an NFTs to digital in-game assets like folks that play video games Mm -hmm. like understand this right like and you know like you said we are very early and i always like you know like you zoom out and see that the the folks that are younger than us like the 20 somethings and the teens they're playing video games they're by like playing on apps and there's in-app purchases and and they're used to digital assets right so when they become of age they're going to understand this it's going to be second nature to them they're going to think of Blockchain is just underlying technology that powers what they normally do, and uh, it'll come natural to them. Unlike to us, like it doesn't feel as natural to us. So that's that's sort of one macro barrier that we need to sort of overcome. Um, I always like to think, you know, what does the end state of music and NFTs look like when you know millions of artists are in the space making NFTs and millions of consumers are in the space making NFTs like what does that actually look like and what are the interfaces that we use so that we can interact with all these NFTs um, one thing that we're thinking is, is, is sort of I always like to think of this thought experiment right like you have an artist and you know they go to create a one-of-one NFT um, I th- and you know say this artist has been making you know music for the last year or so like at minimum, that one of one NFT should be valued at you know twenty five to a hundred dollars. Like I feel like that's like such a safe bet, right? And I think at scale, this is what it's going to look like, right? It's not going to. I think you know where we stand in creating affordable NFTs. We're really playing into that future. Like, how what does it look like when we're maxed out in scale, max saturation with all these artists in the space? Like, what does it look like to be a consumer in this space? Like, I, I mean, I, I think most folks are not going to be interested in, in, in paying, like, over $100. But because it's in the 10 to to $100 price range, most music consumers already buy merch in that price range. They mm-hmm. buy shirts, hoodies. Like, that's how much they pay. So it's like, oh, I can get a one-of-one one art piece for my favorite artist for 60 bucks. It's like, you tie, it's like, do I get a hoodie that is mass-printed or do I get a rare art piece from this artist? Now, when you think of, okay, $60 for you know, this one-on-one art piece, and then you sort of add that to what artists are making on streaming, and then it, like, it becomes something very tangible. And I think one thing that I'm very interested in is, you know, the reality where artists are making more money per song through NFT, turning them into NFTs than they are making in streaming, because what happens is you have a flipping, and artists get the leverage. They get the leverage against the labels, they get the leverage against sure. streaming so they can get better, better deals. And I think, you know, over time, artists are going to still stream. They're going to they're going to do NFTs in parallel, but they're going to get they're going to be you know way they're going to have way more leverage because they can show like hey collectors like value my art this way right. So um, that's that's sort of how I, I imagine the end state when when millions of artists are in the space. It needs to uh, you know the 
Garrett always talks about this, like the like Stripe's um, Stripe's core messages to increase the GDP of the internet. And you know what we really want to do here at Min Songs is is you know increase the GDP of music NFTs. Like how do we just make sure that we we have the infrastructure set up so that we can scale to that many folks is really what we've set up over here. Yeah, Garrett, anything to add to that? No, I think that's really really thought out well. Um, I think one of the other pieces that's missing that we'll likely see in the future, Dwight's actually been harping on this a lot lately. Um, the consumption layer is not totally there. And so like consuming PFPs or other things like you, you have it on your Twitter, like what is the consumption layer for music look like? Um, I think that's something that's missing that we'll, I think we'll see within the next two years. The first thing that comes to mind off the bat, which you guys know, Joey, right? Mm -hmm. A really good friend of mine, really talented web two, web three developer. We've been like throwing shit at the fan for a while. A few months ago, we were like, okay, what if there was just an app that allowed you to connect your wallet and a music player would pop up and you could listen to the songs that you collect? And it was just way too early, right? It was like way too early because now we're in the music NFT scene, right? Now we're in the hype cycle. <laughs> people are collecting and people are understanding. But like that's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of consumption layer. Exactly. Right? Like being able to actually listen to your songs offline, right? <laughs> being able to listen to them on airplane mode when you're flying, being able to run with like... That, that entire layer, enjoyment layer, is missing, right? That adds more character, more more emotion, more appreciation to what you actually collect. Because now it just sits in your wallet. Like, exactly. You can't really do, like maybe it has value, maybe there's some type of staking protocol that can come down the line where you can extract value, you know, um, off like lending pools, whatever that may look like. But yeah, now I'm just like thinking out loud for whatever reason, but I, I, I hear you. That consumption layer is missing, that enjoyment layer, Exactly, for sure. right? Like what does it look like when all these NFTs sit in one place and we can, you know, have a music streamer that aggregates not only Mint Songs NFTs, but sound and catalog and every other NFT that sort of fits our metadata standard, you know, audiophile, album artwork, plus, you know, all these other metadata points, like when it's in that, that format and, and it's at scale, we can create, you know, a, a decentralized Spotify that allows anyone to participate in music NFTs. You don't even need to own a music NFT. You can make a playlist of all the songs that you want to listen to because they're all on, all on IPFS, right? Mm -hmm. So you as a non-NFT owner can experience Web3 music without ever owning an NFT. The key difference here in this streaming app is that there's this new, new, you know, new sort of data layer where, you know, you have the artist name, you have the, the track name, but then you have the owned by. Mm -hmm. And you'll see owned by whether it's the ENS, AdamLevy.ENS, or you know, maybe brands will want to capitalize mm -hmm. on this real estate, Coca-Cola.eth, right? So it starts as, you know, I think over time we've like we're we're hip to this like we're hip we're hip to the music consumption right LimeWire iTunes Napster Spotify Apple Music like we know how we like to consume music so it's just a matter of time before someone builds the aggregator layer that doesn't feel like OpenSea or Rarible or these marketplaces that focus on visuals but focuses on the actual consumption where we can create playlists where I can listen to a you know a collection by like of Adams of all of his NFTs across mm -hmm. sound and catalog and in songs and I can make my own playlist of my own own NFTs that combine your NFTs, right? And everyone else's. So it really creates this new <clears throat> new uh, new way to engage with music NFTs that feels more native to us, that feels more familiar, is super important for that. 
What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi, Zedrun, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. Let's talk about collecting for a second, okay? Let's talk about ownership. Right now, um, I'm looking on my laptop right now, okay? Um, actually, before I even get into that, like the history of a song, from pirating to then the iTunes store and people buying for 99 cents to $1.20, right? To now one-time payment, get access to a library of million songs, to now collecting songs, right? This this like historic timeline. Everybody's just used to paying $12.99, $9.99 and getting access to the music. People are used to that. One, how do we get how do we get people to care more about actually collecting and going back to that previous state of buying a song? for 99 cents and two is collecting for everyone yeah that is a great question right and <clears throat> i think humans are inherently collectors we like to collect a lot of different things like i mean i, I bet like most of our parents have like dvd collections sure right like or cd collections or maybe a bunch of knickknacks or beanie babies or whatever it may be right we're we just like to we like to collect in the physical space so when i think of you know, I, when I think of, uh, you know, folks collecting music NFTs, it really, you know, music just has to resonate with you on that level for you to sort of make that step. Like, it has to be, you know, I really like the music and I want to support the artist because this is a medium that they want to participate in. Plus, I understand what's happening here and I want to participate in the entire ecosystem by owning music NFTs. So it's really, <clears throat> there's definitely like... Uh, like it's hard to teach this, right? Like you can't you can't make someone a collector. It's just something that which, you, by the way, comes with like financial education of what ownership is. Hundred percent, right? And I think we can all agree that a lot of people worldwide don't understand financial literacy, mm -hmm. right? And let alone understand the concept of ownership, why people stay renting versus owning a house, right? Mm -hmm. Despite the financial like the the monetary issues that come with that, uh, but I feel like that same mindset applies to owning something digitally as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Like music had such a weird kind of trajectory, right? Like it started off as like the ownership layer and then it was like there was also piracy, so then it was like, eh, maybe this isn't the right model. Then we moved into this streaming layer, which I, I kinda correlate with uh like renting. Mm -hmm. Um and now we're moving into like a true ownership layer where there is no such thing as piracy, right? You have like this is this is this token this is the owner like mm -hmm. sure you can copy it whatever but you don't have provenance mm -hmm. and so i think that education around provenance is really really important um 
I don't know how we get there in the long term. I think this is like a, a web three issue, like in, in totality. And so like how we explain to the consumer, like you're not just getting, you know, you're not just getting a picture of an ape, right? Like, right. You're getting access to a community. You're getting, getting you know, your identity, this, this, this yeah. identity. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, it's so many more things. And so like getting that out in the wild, I think is really important for like the broader web, not even web three music, just like the broader spaces as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still curious, like how, how do we get more fans to collect versus mm -hmm. to just listen? Yeah, I mean, it could be simply a Trojan horse, like what you did with Queen George, right? Like, I th I think one thing that I really admire about what NBA Top Shot did was that they obscured the blockchain, mm -hmm. right? They obscured flow. And, you know, for many of the folks, they didn't really care about the underlying tech. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just cared about, oh, I can participate in NBA's new collectible because, you know, I've seen physical version physical collectibles right like the cards being you know resold and sold for so much money on ebay so you know I, there is like financial liter the financial literacy problem to nfts but i think also if you obscure it away enough then people will just start participating in nfts right like i mean you talk to any like, I always like to think, like, you know, my mom plays mobile games. And mm -hmm. for all she knows, those mobile games could have an NFT layer. Like, sure. and she would just she would not know. know about yeah. it, right? So it's all about, like, you know, good UI and good UX. That'll, that'll enable sort of that adoption. And eventually, we're not, like... You know, I love that we're sort of in this moment and talking NFTs today, but in in the next couple of years, it's going to be obscured and we're not even going to say the word NFT. It's just going to be, this is a digital asset that we like, you know, can verifiably, verifiably own. And, uh, and that's sort of going to be it. It'll be the same, like, it'll be as strange as saying, yeah, like my website is a database website, right? Like it's just backend technology. Mm -hmm. um, my video game has a database that has these digital assets. No, it's, it's just all blockchain and, and it's going to be obscured so um i think it'll just take time right like and as time goes on more the literacy will go up folks will just start getting hip and then folks will uh, like companies will get smarter and obscuring it and and i think there's going to be way more creative ways like we haven't even thought of uh uh one being you know the project that you launched recently with queen george so um yeah that's that's sort of the thought there um you know what? You know what's like starting to like light fuses in my brain right now. This entire conversation, you name dropped or decentralized Spotify. Okay, mm -hmm. one buzzword, another buzzword, decentralized Spotify. <laughs> what does that mean? And yeah. let's 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 brainstorm on this for a minute. Okay, mm -hmm. talked about how Coca Cola may end up buying a song, and there'll be an ownership uh, uh, mm -hmm. property to it, right. right? That will show up visually in the in the UX UI. Mm -hmm. um, and when you talk about like a global database, uh, a global ledger where everything, every asset, every element sits and is identifiable on chain, then all you really have is just like an application layer that's able to aggregate all those NFTs and makes them consumable, enjoyable, right? To listen to and tie in that element of connecting your wallet and then being able to display all your music NFTs that you own. And then let's say someone else streams that, what is the revenue source that, that is getting attributed to the person who owns that song as well. 
despite the money that the artist made from selling that NFT or portion of that NFT and it's right like that comes into like the legality of securities right mm -hmm. and the legality of ownership on chain I think even the current state right now is ownership is very gray area on chain like what do you what does that mean when you buy a music NFT like what does owning that mean like do you own flat out flat out all the rights associated with that you know but wind it back decentralized Spotify having a global database like a global music library where all music sits on chain yeah and I, and I think about this because in front of me I have like the data uh, in terms of how Apple music Spotify and YouTube pay out their, their listeners right so Apple music actually pays out its listeners the highest amount per stream so it's what 0 0.0076 cents Spotify is between 0 0.0026 to 0.0049 cents and YouTube is 0 0.0067 cents so what is like the, the the royalty model the revenue model look like for on-chain music beyond just collecting in that single transaction and the resale transaction that comes with that I know these are like loaded ideas but like I'm, I'm curious to hear what's your take on that I think that I mean just just like how it is right now right an artist is turning songs that they have on Spotify into NFT so it's like two revenue streams right mm -hmm. and you take those songs and you turn them into physical merch with albums and, and vinyl and you turn them into digital merch with NFTs. <clears throat> going back, going to your idea of decentralized Spotify, you know, what, what we're really doing on the metadata standardization is allowing a future of, you know, this layer one of music where, you know, similar to Ethereum being a layer one where people can build decentralized apps on top of Ethereum, we're going to create a layer one of music where people can build the decentralized Spotify, the decentralized Pandora, the decentralized, whatever you want to build on top of that. But here's a music base that is a totally, where the economics are totally different, where ownership is so, uh, is sort of the, the, the pillar and the, and the, and the, and the reason why those exist. I think, I think a lot of you know the the, the loaded question that you gave me is it's a, it's more like you know th they're going to coexist and because they coexist uh, there's going to be a push and pull um, and artists can decide whether or not they want to do it it's like I, I also want to back it up a little bit like not all artists are going to do NFTs like that's just the reality of it in the same way that not all artists do hats or shirts or hoodies or vinyl like it's just going to be you know, there's going to be artists that do it and some artists that don't. Um, some artists post on Spotify, some artists don't, and they just post on SoundCloud, right? So uh, it's, 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 really, uh, it's really a matter of do we really believe in this, that that ownership is, is going to be uh, a, a key driver of revenue for artists, right? Like going back to the money problem, right? Like are artists, are, are artists actually going to make – uh, make money enough money from NFTs to make this whole thing work. And right now, it you know we sort of see that it is kind of working, right? Like even on catalog, like I was talking to an artist yesterday, and he uh, his name's Kovex, and he sold a couple NFTs of his songs for thousands of dollars, right? Like that just overshadows all the revenue that he's yeah. made from that yeah. song, right? So um, it's just if the if the economic incentives are there something is changing right so that's sort of that's sort of the baseline there yeah garrett any anything to add to that no i don't think anything on that um the metadata stuff is really important to build sort of these things um 
I don't know if we want to dive into that. Right I do, now. I do, yeah. Okay. But, but keep it, keep it, keep it more like higher level because I, I do have a bunch of questions on on metadata for you guys. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think part of that, like, building that decentralized Spotify or or whatever you know whatever it is, right? You know, decentralized, you know, app that does something that's cool with music NFTs. Um, part of that is you have to have some standardization around what things are like. How do you define genre? How do you define like, like all these things that you take for granted in Spotify's UI, like there's been a lot of thought, data processing, AI and machine learning to get to that state. And so, or just user input. And so like a key piece to get to that reality is defining this, you know, new NFT metadata standard. Um, I've been working closely with Jeremy over at catalog and we actually have a, a proposal that we're going to put up here soon. Um, that we've actually been working on this week at ETH Denver too. Mm -hmm. And so like having that standardization of like, Hey, these are the keys in the metadata. Like, and this is, these are the values so that we could build cool apps around this same standard. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just get into metadata right now. (laughs) 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 So that was like a brief intro on meta, meta, metadata, excuse me. Um, what is metadata? For those who don't understand, for the creators that are listening, that all they care about is just minting a song and finding a collector to support them. Why should they care about metadata? Yeah, so metadata is the underlying connection of the asset on chain. And so, you know, when you mint something, you could mint everything on chain. That would be very expensive. Um, You know, currently... I don't know. The last time I looked, if you want to upload like a 20 or 40 megabyte song, it was like... (laughs) a million dollars plus yeah <laughs> like it's just not fucking feasible, right? brutal <laughs> yeah brutal. and so what people do is you have this standard called token uri which points to um either ipfs um you know an aws server or some some storage asset that is just a json of key value pairs of those key values there's things like you know what you know what is the album artwork right or what is the song like what <laughs> What are you even listening to? And so those keys usually, or those values to those keys usually point out to IPFS. So you have like this, this JSON that tells you how an NFT should be rendered, what should come with it. Um, just like these little pieces. Ironically, um, <laughs> OpenSea kind of unintentionally set the metadata standard <laughs> because everybody wanted to show up on OpenSea. Yeah. And so like, for example, something that's, you know, just a clear indicator that maybe this is a little broken is to get song metadata to show up in OpenSea and other dApps, you put it under a key called animation URL, which just like, it's kind of like shoving a square into a circle hole type deal. It's like, you know, this is definitely not an animation. And it's like, oh yeah, this, this key also takes like MP4s and like, I don't know, all these other different things. And you're just like, I, like, which makes organizing the data in a, in a UI point of view, very difficult. So difficult. Yeah. So like, how do you filter that out now? Now, like as dApps are building on, how do you know that something is a song versus a video? So how do you achieve like general consensus around the, the metadata standards that you guys are coming together to build? That's going to be the standards that everybody's going to abide by versus let's say a, a competitor for whatever reason, whoever it may be comes in the picture like OpenSea and actually sets up metadata in their own way, right? Because it suits their platform, their needs, their revenue model, whatever the whatever the reason may be. 
And I may be talking out of my ass too because I don't understand mm-hmm. the intricacies of, of the, like the technicality behind this, right? You guys are the experts here. Yeah. But is that, a, is that a plausible scenario? Yeah, you know, so just to give some context, okay. you know, for an artist in Web2, you go to a distributor right. like United Masters or DistroKid or right. TuneCore and you upload your songs uh, to those distributors and they distribute your music to Spotify, Apple Music, etc. When you upload it to a distributor, they ha- they literally quite literally have a form where you enter all the metadata. You don't you don't know it's like so that it's, it's the metadata, error. but that's but that's like the that's the process to make sure that every like that that's the process so that they can upload your song onto all these streaming platforms. So for web three, it's a little bit different because we're all, you know, in some senses building in silos, OpenSea has their own standard, you know, you know, we have a a metadata standard that we're working with sound and catalog. So it's over time, once a standard is in place, it's, it's going, it's, it's just going to be, you know, it's it's going to be obscured away again. Yeah, for um, sure. It's not going to be something that we're like, oh, like what is the metadata standard? And a lot, you know, a lot of the inspiration that we draw for the metadata standard for Web three music is from distribution platforms. They've done this. They've spent the, like they've spent the last decades like figuring out, um, you know, what metadata works for Spotify, Apple Music, etc. A lot of that is the same for Web Web three. Like, except there's a, there's a couple more nuanced things and. You know, shout out to, you know, the arpeggi folks that are trying to, that are adding sort of like the the credits to samples, right? Like, because we can track like samples on chain through arpeggi, like you can see, okay, this song consists of these samples from these artists. We need to add that into the metadata. This is unique to just Web3 because we could track it all on chain. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it you know, right now, because we're building in silos, it's disjointed but this metadata standard that we're, we're working on allows us to sort of say hey you know we know that the reality of music in web 3 is going to allow us to create a layer one of music where everyone can build on top of it just like ethereum is layer one so this is what we're going to roll with yeah yeah and i think like to your question like leading by example is really important and so you know hopefully by some of the larger platforms i you know us catalog sound like building this in hopefully you know gains traction on others you know it's inevitable that more and more music nft startups are going to come out um one of the one of the big things that we aim for is backwards compatibility so if you don't support it's okay as long as you fall back to like the open sea support which basically everybody does right now um and so like it'll always quote unquote work but there's a way to iterate on it to get it to a better spot. And that's really mm-hmm. what we're like, this like V0.01 that we're going to release here soon. Like that's the goal. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's zoom out again, even further. Okay. This vision, this grandiose vision of a decentralized music landscape from publishing, creation, collecting, ticketing, merch, everything. What would actually prevent that reality from happening, you think? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, What's the Achilles heel? You know, I, th- I, I, I mean, we're founders of a Web3 music company. We can't be thinking about these things. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Like, I, I mean, I think there's a couple things. If, if anything, I feel like you should be thinking about these things, which yeah. might actually be an advantage 
that others may fall down and may fall trapped to. I think one thing that is very apparent now is technology addiction, right? Like I think that, you know, some people do suffer from technology addiction and NFTs pull you back onto your phone because you need to, you need to, you know, keep up with them and you need to see what your artist is doing. And I think, you know, as we, you know, keep going down this path of, you know, you know, software eating the world and, and technology just being ingrained in every piece of our life. I think one thing that could be a possible Achilles heel for NFTs is, you know, folks just want to unplug. And, you know, I think, you know, there could be a reality where, you know, I mean, I'm already like some of my friends are just like, yeah, I deleted Instagram. I deleted Snapchat. I'm sure we all have friends that have done that, that. right? So I do do that. So same thing with NFTs. Like sometimes you might just want to unplug and just sell all your NFTs and just like live in real life. Right. Mm So I think, you know, the 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 burnout from it is like a, a real thing. And it's not just with NFTs, it's technology in general and making sure that we teach folks uh, that, you know, you just got to take breaks. You know, it's everything's good in moderation. Don't go to the extreme. And NFTs are just the same way. Um, but it could be a reason why you get addicted to your computer. You're checking your trades. You're checking, you know, mm-hmm. e- the discords on what your NFTs utility could be. I mean, think of like, at scale, how many artists do you follow on Spotify? Maybe like, I mean, I've, I probably have hundreds, right? And like, we ha- we follow hundreds of people on Twitter. What if everybody had their own smart contract deploying their own NFTs? Now you had a wallet that just had so many NFTs and mm-hmm. you're glued to it. It's just, it makes it a very uh, dangerous situation that, you know, can lead to technology addiction. So that's, that's definitely one that I'm very, you know, uh, some moderation. Some moderation, man. Yeah. yeah. With exactly. everything. Balance. Balance, man. What about you, Garrett? Yeah. I think for me, one of the things that really stands out, <laughs> my my partner, um, she really believes in like living in the physical world like mm-hmm. as, as much as possible. And so something I see is kind of on the same line is like, you know, it's it's a potential scary thought to think that at some point your digital world maybe more valuable than your physical world. And I think that may cause some some friction at scale. Uh, you'll have people that will be anti-technology as a whole, but definitely anti-NFTs, metaverse, et cetera. And so like, that will be a, a friction point that we will have to overcome and like find a good middle ground, I think, um, as, we, as we scale to you know, the next billion users that come into the space. Yeah. So we had a lot of macro type of like discussions. Let's get nitty gritty for a minute. Okay. How the hell do you get started as a new, <laughs> as a new artist, as a musician that's being inspired by this new movement, as someone who's seeing the live shows, the NFT tickets, they're seeing their, 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 their favorite musicians that are on the same up and coming path as they are tap into this new world, make money, build a niche web three level audience. What's your advice to them on how to get started? Okay, join, come to Mint Songs. Okay, we know that. <laughs> come to Mint Songs. <laughs> you know, the best thing that you can do as an artist is really experiment. Like, remember, I always tell artists this, remember when you joined Twitter for the first time or joined Instagram for the first time, you experimented with the content that you put out on these platforms. Web3 is very similar. 
experiment. Go to Mint Songs, go to Catalog, talk to the sound guys, do something there, do a custom smart contract, go on OpenSea, go, like read as much as you can, maybe participate in DAOs, participate in NFTs yourself. Literally just try it all. I think that's not just for music artists, but generally for folks that are interested in the NFT space, just try it, right? Like just try. And for us on Mint Songs, we lower the barrier as much as possible. Like we said earlier, like you just need to sign up with an email address and we cover the gas fees so you can create an NFT without ever touching crypto. You know, we've obscured all of that uh, so that you as an artist can, uh, can easily onboard. I think that's that's really the the key here um so outside yeah outside of you know joining men's songs um you know just get involved in the community like you know talk to other artists that are doing this um you know for us we've really spent a lot of time cultivating a culture that is welcoming and allows artists to you know talk to other artists in our discords talk to other artists in our twitter spaces so that you can learn and and better understand what this whole thing is all about it's all about it's all about education right now and you know the best thing that we can do as a company is be as welcoming as possible because it is very scary for a lot of folks it's like what the hell is this why are we yeah. why are we all talking about this why are we doing it um but if there's an open, if there's a hand reaching out to you and, and they're here to say, hello, welcome to the space, like it just feels more comforting. Um, instead of it, it being sort of, you know, most artists seeing the headlines and seeing, you know, crypto, you know, Mount Gox hack, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, it's like this is already ingrained. And when you approach NFTs, it's like, okay, how's this different than, you know, the things that I've heard on the news, like drug dealers using crypto, whatever. Like there's so many of these factors playing against an artist. And the best that we can do is, you know, be as welcoming as possible and say, hey, you know, like we understand this might not be for everyone, but if it's for you, we're here to help you as much as we can. Yeah. You know, there's one, there's one uh, like piece of advice that Daniel Allen, uh, who's been a part of season three, season four, um, when I first met him in person and we like, we caught up we had like lunch together or something in Sherman Oaks. He's like, before I even, I minted anything before, before I touched my wallet that went to proceeds to, to fulfill gas fees, just to like bring something on chain. I took a step back, I put a pin in it and I got involved in the community as much as I can. Now I fucking hate the word community as much as I love it. It's such an, <laughs> like an abstract word. And when you think community, like what does that mean exactly? So I told this to Queen George because she's now getting involved in, in the music NFT side. She's been in it since like April 2021. But I told her, get into FWB, join Forefront, join Seed Club, uh, buy some NFTs, right? Join those discords, build a name for yourself, make friends. It's all about meeting people, right? Because the tighter relationships you build for yourself, right? The better prepared you'll be when you're ready to launch your own thing, right? And... The number one growth hack that I tell people, and I'd love to hear your point of view because you guys talk about community and you guys want to help build community on Mint Songs, is the number one way to growth hack your face in a new community is come to conferences. Come to ETH Denver, come to Bitcoin Miami, come to NFT NYC, meet all these people, get to know the founders, get to know the other creators, and just get involved, right? Um, what have you guys seen be other like really like really legit strategies that creators have approached, new musicians have approached, trying to kind of break into quote unquote Web3? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
another Discord that I see that's really starting to gain popularity is Water and Music. Cool. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're yeah. hip to it. Um, Sherry Hughes has been putting out everything from research to um, like pricing strategies. Like, There's a lot of really good information there um, and just a really good community of everybody from like developers to creators to artists. Um, I think all the things you named like make sense, right? Like <laughs> join the community, go in, like do things. I think um, another strategy that I've seen, I've seen that's like really worked well, spotty Wi-Fi, like his thesis was join into these communities, buy into them, whether it's punks or apes or, you know, cool cats, whatever it is. And just like start engaging with the community and build around that. Like he did some songs that were specific to these projects and sold it as NFTs. And like, that's a good strategy. Like you can't fight that. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're embedding yourself in the community. You're, you know, utilizing that community and then you create for the community and then the community gives back. Yeah. 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 And you know, I also want to, you know, bring it down to earth a little bit. Like I totally understand that, a lot of artists offload all this energy to their management codes, right? Or their labels or, you know, they uh, because artists just want to focus on creating art. So, you know, when we have these expectations for artists to go to, you know, conferences or go show up in Twitter spaces or comment on Twitter or go to Discord, uh, it is like that is something that they're just not not hip to doing mm-hmm. at least like most of them right so it's like okay we're throwing nfts at you and then we're throwing hey join these twitter spaces join these discords it's like fuck this is overwhelming yeah. Yeah. so you know i think it's not like a one size fits all sort of scenario right like you as an artist just need to navigate it yourself some artists will just purely want to create art nfts right without any utility they don't want to you know bring the patreon model into their uh, into their NFTs, as in, you know, they don't want to like fulfill the utility of NFTs because they, you know, purely want to create art. Yeah. So we got to understand with that, we got to understand and empathize with that, that not all artists want to add utility to their NFTs. They sim- some just simply want to create art pieces and allow folks to buy it. In the same way that you maybe go to an art gallery and see an art piece and you just buy it, it's not like, you know, you know, when you buy a Picasso, you're, you're fucking calling him up. Like, Hey, where's my, like, where's your discord, man? Like, right. Like, so, uh, you know, it, it's not a one size fits all. And I mean, if you are an artist and you do put in the time to, to grind and do these things, you're going to be rewarded. So I, I also like to sort of say that because yeah, if you are a music artist listening to this right now, just know that you are in the top 0.0001% of artists that actually are thinking about this and, and entering the space. Yeah. Like if you enter the space right now, you are so dang early. And, you know, uh, what happens and, you know, for, you know, what hap- I think over time, folks that enter the space during this, I call this like the golden the golden era, right, of music NFTs. This is just the first, like, we're still in the first year of music NFTs. You will be remembered as an OG if you create a music NFT today. So just keeping that in mind, if you believe in this decentralized future that, you know, you will be remembered and, and commended for being a pioneer in this space. I think that's really beautifully said. I want to ask you also, how do you price a music NFT? So there's one of ones, there's additions, uh, but also scanning through mint songs, there's ones that are selling for $7, $1, $20, $3,000. Like, what's the 
price psychology behind that. Uh, and maybe we don't have to get so psychological, but <laughs> just like what what are the like the mental models behind publishing and pricing a song? Yeah, so you know, Garrett and I like to say we've just created a canvas for folks to you know, decide on their own, right? Like if you want to sell a one of one for, you know, uh, $25 or a thousand dollars, you can do that. Or if you want to sell additions at, uh, you know, a dollar a piece, you can do that. Um, it's, you know, uh, it's all about allowing an artist to decide what they want to do, right? Like they're going to, f- like over time, it's going to figure itself out. Like there's going to be trends right now. We just, you know, there are a couple trends like artists are, you know, selling out collections if they do editions at a dollar a piece and they are able to start building Web3 communities uh, that uh, that that are onboarded through cheap NFTs. So uh, they're able to sort of benefit and play and, and, and start, you know, cultivating that early on. Um, I think, yeah, pricing is just sort of this, it's arbitrary, right? Like, you know, I if you buy a hoodie from, you know, Grizz, you know, today in a couple of years when Grizz is even larger, you know, that hoodie could resell for like a couple hundred dollars on eBay. Right. And it's like, wait, why didn't Grizz just sell that hoodie for $500 today? And right. And, and capture all that. Right. It's so it's, it's, it's very arbitrary and, and we're just going to let the artists decide, right. Um, what their art is worth. I don't want to be, you know, uh, we had a Twitter space the other day and um, an artist asked the same question, like, what should I price our NFTs? And, you know, I told him, you have to value your art in however way you want to. We have guidance. We're, you know, we, we always tell folks like the, the grail of this is the data play because that'll help you make more money over the long run. So is it worth it to sell cheap NFTs today? So you build a, you know, a, a base of web, a, a web three community of Ethereum addresses so you can, you know, run the data layer on top of it later, or, you know, do you want to play and, 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 and just sell your NFTs at one of ones and sell them, you know, for hundreds, a hundred something dollars, right? It's, Going back to it, we're just creating a canvas. You decide as the artist, um, and and we'll just rock from there. Any thoughts, Garrett? Yeah, yeah. I think Dwight touched on something too, like increasing the barrier of entry and inclusivity is like really important at the core. One of, um, ironically, one of the artists that recently mentioned on our platform, his name is Mardini. I I grew up with him. He's moved out to LA and started doing well for himself, and. You know, he came to us and he's like, hey, look, like, I actually don't care. Like, the money's not a big deal to me. Like, you know, if it's a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars, a hundred dollars, I more care about selling it out and making sure that all of my fans can collect that. Right. I thought that was really powerful. Like, less, less care about the money that directly comes and more care about the community that you're, you're building um, and, and ensuring that you're not setting up barriers to where they can't enter especially as this like Genesis NFT, I thought was really, really unique. Right. There's a trade-off. Um, and I always, I always like to bring up early days of Nifty Gateway when they did the dollar drops, right? Because anyone that claimed or bought one of those dollar drops 
just won. They became winners. And, you know, for Beeple, he sold a, you know, he sold a hundred <laughs> NFTs for a dollar a piece. And uh, all any anyone that has held since then now have an NFT that's the floor price is worth like $200,000. So you've created winners. And now that that person has an, that NFT, they're, they're going to be forever, you know, tied to your brand and, and they're incentivized to keep talking about your brand. So you're, you continue to be successful because it pulls back, uh, it pulls uh, value back to their own NFTs. So you create this environment of winners and, and it, I, it's not like monetarily quantifiable, right? Like when you make a winner, you don't know how much ROI you're gonna get from that person. But I think what's good with Mardini's example is like, he wants to create winners, right? Like, and if you create winners, you're gonna win over the long run because you create fans that are just that more closer to you. And isn't that the whole thing with NFTs? Like when you sell an NFT, you're, you're strengthening the artist fan relationship. So this is, that example with Mardini is purely strengthening the artist fan relationship, giving his brand equity away, letting his fans win with him. When he wins, his fans win. It, it just creates a really, uh, a really good environment. Smart. Yeah. You you set a foundation for your collectors to do really well. Exactly. When you think about royalties and percentage splits, what is the appropriate percentage to put? I've seen anywhere between 10 to 20%. I've also seen 50%. And what's the mental model behind that, do you think? Yeah, so we've standardized it. Um, on mint songs, it's 10%. Okay. And this, you know, f- we, we sort of standardize it at 10% because one, we've, we sort of, before, you know, standardizing it, we talked to a lot of digital artists in the space, you know, selling NFTs on Nifty Gateway and Super Rare. And we're like, you know, what do you think is the fair standard? Like, what do you think is a fair royalty here for secondary sales in perpetuity? Um, and generally came back with 10%. So one of the reasons why we standardized it goes back to our core ethos of how do we just lower the barrier, right? If you were an artist setting your royalties, what is the best royal? What is the what is the best one to pick? It's just another step, another mental hurdle in your head to figure out, like, okay, what is this? Uh, we just wanted to take that take that variable out. Um, eventually, we're gonna uh, we have a plan to open that up, but um, right now our artists are totally fine with it. Um, so. You know, when when there is that demand, we'll do it. Uh, but yeah, right now our artists are totally fine with that. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a good place to uh, to also end off. Um, but before I let you go, what can we expect from Mint Songs in the next year? What's up and coming beyond giving more flexibility on royalties like you just dropped? Um, walk me through that. Yeah. So. In the next year, this is gonna this is gonna be a big year, man. Um, I'm sure. So we raised our seed round in December from Castle Island Ventures, North Island Ventures, Coinbase Ventures, Dapper Labs, Polygon, Grammatic, IOSG, Freestyle. A lot of great folks. Uh, Congrats. That's appreciate awesome. it. Appreciate it. And some amazing angels too, like Christina Beltramini and Jeff Renaud. Like w- one thing that. You know, one thing is for sh- certain is that this is going to be a very, uh, it's going to be a pivotal year. Like, you know, we are a startup. We're still trying to find product market fit. And, you know, luckily we have a great eng team to throw darts at the board and, you know, whatever sort of sticks we're going to lean into. So expect more experiments out of us. Expect, 
you know, we're going to keep driving, you know, driving more products that make sense for artists <clears throat> and driving more experiences that, uh, in real life experiences that make sense so that we can really bridge the gap here. Like it's, it's all about bridging. It's all about education and, and, and tools that we put out will sort of resonate with those two ideas. Garrett. Yeah. I think in the short term, um, you can expect in the coming weeks, better discovery tools, um, more marketplace things such as filters, search, global search, um, you know, filtering by price, primary, secondary, a lot of these tools to help artists kind of show up, uh, for fans. And so, We'll, we'll address those. Um, we'll also just continue experimenting. Like Dwight said, you know, things around interaction are really, really, um, you know, front of mind and things along just a lot of different experiments around a lot of things. Um, some of the things we talked about today and just, you know, how we can try things that nobody else is doing and seeing if that makes sense or not. Um, you know, in March we'll have some more things around a campaign we're running. So, Stay tuned in what, awesome. two weeks. <laughs> awesome. Guys, exciting times. Where can we find you now? Like each of you individually. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dorculus, D-O-R-C-U-L-A-S. I thought it was a good idea to just smash both my first name and last name into my Twitter handle. And Amazing. now that's my handle for Snapchat, Instagram, everything else. So uh, yeah, at Dorculus. And then for Mint Songs, at Mint Songs. Cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm uh, garrett.mintsongs.eth on Twitter um, or at underscore Garrett Hughes. Um, yeah, nowadays I think all of Web3 is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, uh, appreciate it. We have to do this again in a few months and do a, a recap, a check-in. Uh, and till then. Yeah. Till then. Appreciate it. <laughs>